Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In 2020, events have again shone a light on inequalities across the globe. And Australia is not an exception. 20 years on from the reconciliation walks of the year 2000, this nation's journey towards more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind and in the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Welcome to Policy Forum Pod, the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. I'm Artie Bettigary, and I'm your guest presenter for this episode in our Making the Invisible Visible bonus series. Policy Forum Pod is brought to you by PolicyForum.net, based at Crawford School of Public Policy. We're the Asia-Pacific's leading graduate policy school, and we want to share with you what we do best, shaping tomorrow's leaders. We believe that in this time of crisis, decisions leaders make matter more than ever. With a degree from Crawford, you'll be able to make a difference, be it in international affairs or the national economy. Check out our master's programs and short courses at crawford.anu.edu.au slash study. We're looking forward to welcoming you here. In this special bonus series, we're exploring work done by researchers from Crawford School over the past 12 years on an ambitious project to redefine how poverty is measured, taking an innovative, rights-based and people-centred approach. This has been collaborative research, and the past four years were a partnership between ANU and the International Women's Development Agency, with funding from the Australian Government through the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Using a new approach known as the Individual Deprivation Measure during its development and now renamed as the Individual Measure of Multidimensional Poverty, the project didn't just assess how many people are poor, but rather how they experience poverty. In measuring deprivation across 15 dimensions, the results have revealed some incisive and in-depth information about patterns of poverty. In this Making the Invisible Visible series, we'll be shedding light on the issue of poverty by breaking down the figures provided by this new measure, getting behind the data, and seeing how it can help policymakers better direct resources. On this sixth and final episode, we take a look at how the advent of the COVID-19 pandemic has affected poverty rates and how poverty is experienced. Joining me to discuss this critical issue is IDM co-director Professor Sharon Bessel. Sharon is a regular Policy Forum pod guest and presenter, and she also heads the Children's Policy Centre and the Poverty and Inequality Research Centre here at the Crawford School.
Sharon, the COVID crisis took us all by surprise. And earlier this year, in the space of perhaps a week, it seemed to upend everything we knew and took for granted. And one thing we know is that the effects have been felt much more deeply by those already suffering deprivation in some way. What were your initial thoughts when the pandemic closed in, in terms of the interplay between it and the findings of the IDM? I think for all of us working on this research, as soon as coronavirus started to emerge and started to impact on on countries around the world, we were acutely aware of what this was going to mean for people that are living in poverty. We were aware of the likelihood of coronavirus impacting far more deeply on people who already experience poverty. And we were also aware of the challenges that would face people who are living in contexts of poverty in terms of being able to protect themselves and keep themselves safe. And we know from the experience of the past couple of months how devastating COVID-19 has been around the world. But in contexts of poverty, in contexts of resource constraint, where governments have far less in terms of of, um, resources for health services, in terms of hospitals um, and testing facilities, and where individuals have far less in terms of being able to look after themselves and keep themselves safe, that the impacts are, are going to be so, so deep. And I think for all of us working on this research, we were concerned about this at a statistical level in terms of what it meant for the, the percentages of people experiencing poverty. But for many of us, we've been working in the countries that, that we've been doing the research for a number of years. And we were also and remain deeply worried about the people that we have um, been interviewing, the people that we've been doing research with. And I'll just give you one example of the human side of this. A colleague and I who've been doing participatory research alongside the IDM survey were both reminding each other of a little boy that we worked with who was this little boy full of energy and we both have an image of him in our minds skipping up the road um, from his house towards the place where we were going to do the research with him. We don't know what's happened to him or his family, but we know that he lived in a very poor community. We know he lived in a place where his parents wouldn't be able to protect him in terms of social distancing, in terms of hand washing and all of those preventions. And so at a human level, we we wonder and we worry about what's happened to human beings who are caught in the midst of this horror. And Indonesia has been quite affected, hasn't it? Indonesia has been quite affected um, and South Sulawesi, where we did the individual deprivation measure survey, has been quite, quite badly affected. So we know that the people that have been involved in our research will very likely be impacted. So let's take a deeper look at how COVID-19 is affecting or has affected people's experiences of existing inequalities, starting with young people, as we've just touched on. How are they being affected and what are the main challenges to their recovery? So we know from from research and um, anecdotal accounts that are emerging from countries around the world that young people are being very badly impacted. It does seem that the health impacts for young people are not as as severe as for older people, but the impacts of the lockdown are quite dramatic for young people. In terms of employment, we're seeing devastating effects on young people, but also in terms of, of mental health and anxiety. 
In the individual deprivation measure, we ask a series of questions about uh, people's mental health. We ask questions around whether people are experiencing worry, anxiety and nervousness, whether people are experiencing depression regularly or, or periodically. Our findings in Indonesia showed that young people are particularly subject to anxiety and to worry. And so this is really important data in terms of understanding the way in which multidimensional poverty impacts on people's lives. And for young people, it plays out in terms of, of deep anxiety. We found, interestingly, that young women in Indonesia were particularly vulnerable to feelings of worry and feelings of anxiety. And interestingly and significantly, one of the things that they were particularly worried about was um, housing security and concern and fear that they would be evicted from their, their places of, of dwelling, from their homes. And so in a, in a context of uncertainty, where people's incomes are not just dropping, but plummeting through the floor, um, and where there is so much precarity and vulnerability, it's likely that the worry that those young people are experiencing is going to be exacerbated, but it's also likely that the causes of their worry are likely to be exacerbated. And so those, those concerns that young women in Indonesia had about housing insecurity um, are going to come to fruition, that their, their security of, of tenure of their homes is going to be impacted negatively by COVID-19. And we, we hear economists particularly talking about the scarring effects that young people are likely to experience um, as a consequence of job loss, because of the impacts on their education, and also because of this deep anxiety. So we are going to have very long-term impacts on young people's lives as a result of COVID-19 itself and the responses to it. Still in Indonesia, one of the main factors your team identified was a lack of sanitation. Access to sanitation seems pretty vital in our COVID-19 world. So how does this play out? This was one of the things that was really striking to, to us um, when the recommendations from the World Health Organization and other authorities was to wash hands regularly, frequently and well, and to physically distance. And we knew from our data that this was going to be really difficult for people living in poverty. And we went back to the data that we have from Indonesia to look at how this was likely to, to play out. So let me just give you, you know, a few examples of, of what the, the findings of our survey were, were telling us. So in, um, Indonesia, a quarter of the people that we surveyed had no place to wash their hands in their house or in their yard. So this is really problematic in terms of being able to wash your hands frequently. Around 13% of people surveyed had no access to soap. So they had no access to, to soap at home and no access to soap in the public places where they would wash their hands. About a quarter of people didn't have the toilet facilities in their homes. Now, the consequences of this in the context of COVID-19 are really deeply worrying. There are a couple of implications. One implication is that people are just not able to wash their hands frequently. They don't have those facilities at home. The other implication is that if people do want to wash their hands, they need to go outside of their homes to do it. 
It also means that if people need water, which we all need every day, they need to go out of their homes to collect that water. If people need to go to the toilet, again, something that is a basic human function that we all need to do multiple times every day, they need to go to shared toilets, they need to go to public toilets. So the potential for people to physically distance and to keep themselves safe is very, very low in these situations because people can't wash their hands at home and they can't stay at home. So that's that's really deeply disturbing. We also found from our data that this plays out differently across different contexts. So in rural areas, people were much more deprived than in urban areas. So those problems are far greater in rural areas. In our Indonesian survey, we went to the islands that are off the west coast of South Sulawesi. These are incredibly remote islands. It took our, our team of, of researchers 20 hours in some cases to reach these islands. In those islands, 59% of people didn't have hand washing facilities at home. So we can see that this is a worry across the province, but the, the concerns are far deeper in remote and in rural areas. South Africa too, they seem to have problems with access to water and toilets, according to the findings of your research. What, again, are the implications of this in South Africa? I think we're seeing very similar things in South Africa in terms of the concerns that we have. Uh, But worryingly, in South Africa, people's access to hand-washing facilities in their homes, for example, is, is far less than in Indonesia. In Indonesia, about a quarter of people surveyed didn't have hand-washing facilities in their own homes or yards. In South Africa, that's up towards 57% where people who responded to our survey were not able to wash their hands at home using sufficient water or using soap. So we see the same kinds of issues emerging in South Africa, but we see that far greater numbers of people are going to be impacted. And so the consequences of that will be far deeper. In April, the UNFPA released projections describing the pandemic as, quote, calamitous for women's health. Can you explain more about this? This is a really important report that's been put out by UNFPA and what it demonstrates is the gendered implications of COVID-19 and how the the virus and the lockdown will impact on women in ways that it won't impact on men. And what that report was talking about was the problems that women will face in accessing contraception in a context of lockdown and also a context of really restrained incomes or no incomes. So the likelihood of women being able to afford to use contraception is greatly decreased when we we have the kind of economic impacts that we've seen in COVID-19 and the the potential for women to to leave their homes and to go out and buy contraception is also reduced in the context of of COVID-19 and what UNFPA was talking about was the problems that that lack of access is going to cause and they gave some really startling figures around the numbers of unwanted pregnancies that we're likely to see as a consequence of 
COVID-19. I guess what we also see from not just UNFPA, but from a range of, of sources are the really worrying indications of increased domestic family and intimate partner violence um, as a, a consequence of the lockdown and people being in situations that they cannot leave. So we're seeing some really worrying issues emerging um, around the impacts of COVID-19 on women particularly. How do you hope a decision makers around the world might use the research that has come out of this project and, you know, really harness it and use it towards trying to find durable solutions to some of the problems we've talked about today? Artie, there are a number of ways these data can be used. This measure tells us how deprivation in different areas of life interact to create multidimensional poverty. And it tells us how different social characteristics intersect to create multidimensional poverty for specific groups, depending on gender, on age, on disability, and so on. This is information that we don't currently have from other measures, and it can be used by policymakers to determine how to target scarce resources, to identify structural barriers that stop people from moving out of poverty, to determine where investment in social services and in infrastructure, particularly social infrastructure, is needed. And so we hope that this measure will be taken forward by governments, by international agencies and by all those who genuinely want to address poverty, to reduce poverty and ultimately to end poverty and to fulfil that global objective of leaving no one behind. If you want to find out more about the research we've discussed today, you can visit immp.crawford.anu.edu. Listeners, we're really keen to hear what you think about today's episode in our Making the Invisible Visible special series. You can reach us via Twitter at APPS Policy Forum or send us an email at podcast at policyforum.net. You can also reach out to the Individual Measure of Multidimensional Poverty team directly on Twitter at Research Poverty. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have, make sure you subscribe to Policy Forum Pod. We're on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you normally get your favourite shows from. And while you're at it, if you want to show your support, you can leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform. That was the last episode in our special Making the Invisible Visible series on Policy Forum Pod. We hope you enjoyed it. I want to say a big thanks to all of you who've listened in. Your regular episode of Policy Forum Pod will be out on Friday. I'm Archie Bettigary. Thanks for joining us. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.